1: Sorry about the noise, my neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto, don't work on your deck, play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck, low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.
0: What a champion becomes a legend. McCartney has won it. Perkins goes in first. What a legend, what a champion. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives.
2: As always, a great pleasure to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Today, we celebrate the life of an Australian who made her mark in tennis. She's also got a few other connections. She's got a basketball connection. She's got an AFL connection. Who knows what else? We might find out in the next hour. Her name is Nicole Bradke, and she is in the studio. Nick, how are you going?
1: I'm very well, Pete. How are you? I'm
2: well, thank you. You're looking well, but you always look well.
1: No, I'm I'm doing really well, staying fit and uh, looking after the family and doing what I usually do with uh, my tennis and enjoying my time and keeping busy, which is great.
2: So what are you actually doing? What do you do for a crust these days? So
1: currently now what I do, and I have done since... um, I stopped playing professionally, had children, then uh, I'm coaching. So I coach not ridiculous amounts. I coach uh, so I still enjoy it. Um, There's nothing worse than probably doing something that you don't enjoy going to do. And I do enjoy uh, coaching. and, And the kids that I coach, some are very good and some hit a nice tennis ball. Uh, and I thoroughly enjoy that, and it keeps me in shape. I probably do that three, four times a week. And then I do cardio tennis, which is gangbusters, which I absolutely love, which I do on a Wednesday and Friday morning, and I have probably about 15 people come in. got two courts running.
2: Now tell us uh, a bit about cardio tennis.
1: So cardio tennis is – I do a bit of my version of it just through the drills that I have done over my years of playing with coaches and things like that. So a lot of it is me feeding it out of the hand, and a lot of it is me with the tennis racket feeding the tennis balls. It's an hour of constant moving and drills and um, keeping women and men busy um, on the tennis court. You don't have to be a great tennis player to be able to play, um, but people love it. I get people from all different walks of life. I have lawyers, I have um, d- Casual teachers, um, you know, Maddie Lloyd came in and did it for a little while. So it's just something that I really enjoy and it's obviously more adult. So I'm not coaching kids. So that's that's generally what cardio tennis is.
2: So it's a bit of exercise, a oh, bit of fun yeah, along yeah. the way.
1: It's, it's a lot of fun. They, You know, you can clock up between how many people come, um, you know, four or five Ks that they end up running and hitting and doing all those sorts of things. So it's um, people love it.
2: And the difference is, if you're running four or five k's, that is your sole focus. Yes. But when you're actually doing something else, you probably don't realise that you're covering four Absolutely.
1: or five k's. Absolutely, and you know, I just I get people from varying standards, so that's why I have the two courts going. So I tend to group them a little bit in their ability because when it comes to playing points, the ones that don't hit the ball so well don't really want to play with the ones that hit the ball really well. So I've just got a really great variety of um, people that come, and I just tailor it to who rocks up on the day, basically. So I've got set drills that I kind of do and then I, you know, make it up as I go along.
2: And what about the kids you coach? Do you yeah. see the passion for sport in kids still these days? Because they've got so many other things that they, they can occupy yeah. their time with.
1: Look, I'm pretty an advocate of the kids that I coach stay at school and I will work around their schedule. Um, a lot of kids that who are very good tend to get homeschooled, which I'm not really an advocate for, I think you can find enough great hitting in your day uh, to be able to then study and hit and do what you need to do. So the the kids that I coach, they you know, some are once 12, uh, 16, um and varying age groups that I do do, but they all go to school and I work around them. So most of my hours are pretty much after school or if they want to, I'll get them up really early before school and we'll hit before they go to school. So, um, But, yeah, kids have choices these days and they're very fortunate here from Australia that uh, we have a lot of great choices. Um, My biggest thing is that I see with kids is whether they want to go to an individual sport or a team sport. A lot of kids like go to team sports and it takes a, a a sort of a, a very driven person to go to an individual sport because you do spend a bit of time on your own. You've got to organise yourself. You've got to rely on other people. Um, so it's the two ways that people go. But the kids that I, I, um, I coach, um, I'm pretty tough with them, and um, we're out there and we're out there to work hard and um, I thoroughly enjoy it. It's something that I really enjoy doing.
2: Well, if you instill that work ethic in them at an early age, yep. it can stay with you for the rest of your sporting life.
1: That's exactly right. and it's just not with tennis too. I mean, it's probably a little bit more common now to go to college. so if they're not quite going to make it on the circuit, there's so many of these other wonderful options that they can do, and I would I would advocate going to college um, to study to hit lots like they do in in America. And then uh, if they want to give it a go on the tour, they can certainly do that as well.
2: When you see the kids coming up through the ranks, Nick, do you see a mixture of the kids who want to earn $100 million like Roger (laughs) Federer and Novak Djokovic and the ones who are really just lovely, passionate kids about the sport of tennis? Is there a mix there?
1: I think, look, there is a mix, but a lot of it I see is a lot of, it sounds terrible, but mums and dads that are wanting, they're seeing their childhood uh, life through their children uh, and putting a lot of pressure on these kids to perform. It's a lot of hard work and very few people make it. So I think you've got to have the enjoyment first. You've got to have great parents who are willing to... Take you from A to B because there is a lot of obviously travel involved, going to tournaments and things. But then the most important thing is too is that the parents have got to have a life as well, because you've got to come home and you've got to have something different to talk about. It just you've got to have a lot of balance. And I was very fortunate in my career to have that. And you you see that with Ashbardi, mm. she has a lot of balance in her life. Her parents have not given up their day job, um, and I think that that's why um, she is doing so well.
2: Why is it that the sport of tennis over the years has seemed to attract those sort of parents? We go back to the days yeah. of Mary Pierce, yeah. and of course, we know what happened yeah, with well, Yelena. Yeah, exactly. Why is that? Is it just the time that they spend constantly sitting beside the court, yeah. watching their child and and just analysing everything that they do? And
1: they think that they know best, yeah. which they don't really. I think the sign of a good parent is, too, to be able to let your entrust um, your uh, your child with someone who knows what they're talking about and a lot don't want to do that. And that's where it gets a little bit unstuck. Yes, it it probably can be a little bit more expensive and things like that. But um, I think the parents have to trust um, outside people to have their best interests in their child. And I think they have longer careers. Um, They can still travel if they can, if they can get it with work, the parents, but they see the money, they see the big dollars, and yeah, it's a sad state of affair that does happen in tennis um, with some of the tennis parents.
2: It's a bit like the old argument about whether parents should teach their kids to drive. Sometimes you're better <laughs> off sending them to a professional yeah, yeah. because they will tell them the things that they need, they need to, hear. to
1: do. Yeah, I'm the only problem with that now. <laughs> as I've had a child that does have a license, they've got to get 120 hours up.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: and 120 hours is a lot of driving. So, yeah, uh, yeah it, it, it's interesting. It's, um, uh, you know, watching watching the young kids come up. But, I mean, hopefully that there are a lot of good ones out there and that, that the kids do learn and they do listen to people who have sort of had that experience.
2: You mentioned Ash's name before. It's going yeah. to add another dimension when we're yeah. at Melbourne Park in about a month or so's it's, time. Uh, yep. It's um, it's going to be so exciting. It's always exciting there. Yeah. We love that fortnight. Yeah, it,
1: it's a great fortnight.
2: But there's another part to the equation because realistically, we've got a chance of an Australian holding up the Daphne Akhurst Memorial Cup.
1: It is. And you know what? The Australian Open's always a bit of a tricky one because it's the first Grand Slam and everyone's pretty much had – well – officially had six weeks. There's no tournaments. They haven't had six weeks off. Um, I mean, Ash has had a few weeks off. She's gone on holiday. She's played some golf and that's, what's going to make her a much um, better athlete mentally. And, but when they come down here and two and it's hot, so there's a bit of an unknown of, who's going to be playing well, who's not going to be playing well and things like that. So, I mean, she's got a great opportunity. She loves playing on hard court. We saw that she won the end of year um, championships in China. So hard court is a good service. I mean, who would have thought she would have won the French Open? Mm. But, um, you know, you'll take it. Uh, Just because you think that you're the best on grass, it doesn't necessarily mean that way. So... You know she's going to have her good days and her bad days. Um, you know we saw that in the Fed Cup when um, she was generally nervous in that that second singles match. So, um, as long as people don't tend to get too hard on her, she's she's here for the long haul, and um, she's going to have ups and downs. But um, I think uh, you know she'll have a wonderful career.
2: When we sit in the commentary box at the Australian Open and various things, obviously when we're off air, we talk about what might happen. And the talk always was with Ash that she's got what it takes to be top 10 along the way. Did you ever think that she would ascend so quickly to the number one ranking in the world?
1: Oh, look, no, I don't think there's a a timeline, but I think, you know, when she did go away, she was just homesick. You know, it is, Mm. it's, you know, coming from Australia, you've got to go away for long periods of time. You know, she said she's really close to her mum and dad and her, her family and her sisters. And she just didn't enjoy that been on her own and having that time off she was fortunate enough to have people around her that she could travel with that she enjoyed being with and she's mentioned Casey she was you know um, a wonderful friend for her and really was a great companion Um, and then they did really well in doubles so I think there's no – she's coming back as a more mature person and being able to handle it now. And now when she goes away for the year, she'll go back and she'll play tournaments that she enjoys playing. I mean, obviously now it's a bit different because she's required to play tournaments, but she will go back and play the tournaments where she likes going to the, the restaurants that she goes to. Um, I don't think Ash is a shopper, but um, – she'll go to those, she'll set a year out, she'll set her tournaments that she feels comfortable, the hotels that she likes to go to, the places that have good golf courses. And so whilst tennis is still her main object, she still has interests under
2: those. She's got a wonderful life balance and that helps you as a person if you have interest outside of your work. It doesn't matter what your job is. If you've got something else to keep you interested and keep you passionate, then it helps with the journey of life.
1: Oh, exactly. And I think, I mean, she got that journey or that perspective, I think, from Ben Crow, who has been added to to her team, who uh, has probably put things to her that she um, hadn't really thought of before and, you know, having the balance and she doesn't dwell too much if she does lose because if she does lose these days, obviously someone's had to play very, very well to beat her. So, um you know, everything's just going um, very nicely for her.
2: Yes, and it will get testing because the further she progresses in the Australian Open, the more attention is going to be on her at home. Yeah. I remember back when Leighton played Marit Saffin in that 2005 final and it was the first of the night matches and the television ratings were astronomical. Yeah. The build-up to that was incredible. And that's something that Ash is probably going to have to cope with if she's going to win seven times in Australia.
1: Well, I mean, it's maybe a bit of a blessing that she did win her first one yeah. offshores from Australia. So she knows now the level of interest that is in her. She's had that six months after winning the French and having the media and, and all of that. So now when she does come into you know the lead-up tournaments and the Australian Open, she's going to know – What she has to do, excuse me, but she has to be um, a little bit selfish in some respects that um, she has to look after a her tennis first and then doing whatever she needs to do, her media commitments and and all that afterwards. So um, I think she's got that down pat now, though.
2: All right, that's enough of talking about everybody else. We're going to talk about you oh, Okay. when we come back on the other side of the break. Great Sounds to good. have Nicole Bradkey as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, Celebrating Lives. Plenty more to come with Nick after the break.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
2: A pleasure to have Nicole Bradkey as my guest on um, This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. I, something just occurred to me. You're making history with this program, you know, oh. because it's the first time we've had a husband and wife oh. on as separate guests on yes. this program. Mike
1: Mark did it a little while ago, I think, before the World Championships. He did. Yeah.
2: And it was uh, a very enjoyable chat. Yeah,
1: we've... We've had an interesting time, I would say, yeah. Uh,
2: Now, where did it all begin for you two?
1: Okay, where did it all... It was the 1992 Barcelona Olympics.
2: Oh, so you walked away with two prizes from the Olympics. (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs)
1: Um, So before you walk into the main stadium, we're all in another stadium waiting to go through and obviously the whole Australian team's just sitting down and you've got to get there so early and I just happened to plonked myself down next to this tall gentleman and it happened to be Mark Bradkey and we just got talking. And also when we were in the village um, at the Olympics, we stayed in apartments, so the men and the women, so the apartments I was in with Todd and Fitzy and Wally and
2: um,
1: all of us were all in and and Neil Fraser because he was the captain and Wendy Turnbull, so we are all in one apartment and the basketballers were above us and around us. And so we just got talking and that's how we met and love flourished.
2: And the rest is history. <laughs> how, history. Long, how long did it take for love to flourish?
1: Um, pretty quickly. You know, we got married fairly quickly. So I th- I've been married now 26 years. So, um, yeah, time flies. So, um, But after that Olympics, I had to go to America and he actually stayed on in Spain Um, and then it was then the big hoo-ha when he came back to Australia, where was he going to play? Mm. And as Lindsay Gay says, I was his greatest asset, and unbeknownst, he was coming to Melbourne to play. So, um, yeah, that's how it all began.
2: Just going back to Barcelona, were you standing in the middle when the Archer fired? Yes.
1: I was out there, yeah, because that was my first—that uh, was my first Olympics. Yeah. Oh, brilliant so, moment, yeah. wasn't it? Oh, it was. It. it was just amazing.
2: The debate is there whether the actual arrow lit the flame. Yeah. They say that it went over the top of the cauldron, but good. who cares? <laughs> it
1: doesn't matter. The whole spectacular. It was just, um, yeah, very, very enjoyable, a lovely time, and certainly cherish my memories from there.
2: Yeah, you know me well enough to know that we're not going to do this in order. We're going to jump yeah, all just over all the place. That's so fine, while we're you can in Barcelona, questions at me, yes. <laughs> Uh, the bronze medal. Yes. Where is it?
1: Uh, um, I think it's, it might be in the safe, yeah. actually. Yeah, it's in the safe. Cause, Do you get
2: it out every now and uh, then now and, have and a look again, at
1: again, um, I think early in the days when my two boys, Austin and Jensen, were at school and the Olympics came around and um, they would say, you know, can your mum bring in her medal? And I'd say, sure. I mean, Mark finished fourth four times that he was at all the Olympics, so it was a bit of a... Sad moment there that he didn't actually get one, um, came close. But, um, yeah, it's just um, at home in, in in the safe. So get it out and occasionally look at it. So, yeah, fond memories, very what? fond memories with Rachel McQuillan. Yes.
2: Yeah. I know, actually, the tennis centre in Barcelona because yeah. Barcelona was my first Olympics as well. Ah. And there was a village not far away yes. from where the tennis centre was. It yes. was at uh, Vay de Bron, Right, I think was the name of the tennis centre. So we used to walk past the tennis yeah. centre all the time. Um, what were your memories of competition there? And first of all, what's it like to represent your country at the biggest sporting event in the world?
1: Well, tennis had really – i I'd actually just probably missed out on going to Korea because that was in 88 when I'd mm. actually had one of my better years. So, yeah. We'll uh, talk about that I, later. Yeah, I missed out on that. Um, so then Barcelona was my first. So tennis was pretty much – just new coming back into it. But it was all, ex- you know, it was exciting. It was, um, yeah, fabulous. And I was playing with Rachel and it was just something that we didn't expect because obviously sometimes regular doubles teams on the tour, you've got people playing doubles from different countries. So not a lot of, you know, we were fortunate with the Woodies that they actually came from Australia and that they could play together. So um, Rachel and I had played a little bit in Fed Cup together and we just played really well. <laughs> mm. And... Um, It was really just something that we weren't expecting and it just happened, so it was
2: great. Speaking of the Woodies, you're entwined with both of them because your two Grand Slam titles came with Mark. Mark, Yeah. But Todd's also got a little bit of a uh, a relativity to yourself.
1: Yes, he is married to my sister. So, uh, yeah, that's talking of medals and lots of medals. He's got a beautiful um, collection of medals and a wonderful tennis player and... um, a wonderful um, person and, and one of my best mates, really, too, because we have spent a lot of time together.
2: It was one of your Grand Slams that you won with Mark yes. against Todd?
1: Yes, and I nailed him in the neck here. Uh, he was playing with a rancher. Yes. And it was here at the Australian Open, and he'd just won with uh, Mark, the men's doubles, and Tash was sitting there and he, she was kind of hoping that I could win one. Um, and I, Mark did a great serve and I crossed and I hit this volley and I got him right in the throat and he it's never forgets. Happen, it. It? He actually spoke at my 50th and said the same <laughs> thing, that, um, that, that that's what I'd done. It, it was hard playing with him because he wanted to do so well together that he kind of got a little bit antsy and, and all the rest. So it was kind of tough playing with him. So, But obviously I had um, success with Mark.
2: What's Christmas lunch like?
1: Oh, he cooks. He's a marvelous cook. Really, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, wonderful cook. So, um, we it's just a small family because Mark's parents live on the Gold Coast, um, and Todd's mum, um, she's up at Foster. So it's just um, uh, my parents and Tash and Todd and the kids, and it's it's very civilized.
2: Speaking of Mark, he yeah. had a lot to do with the redevelopment of the Davis Cup and and the way that it's gone. Yeah, a, down a different path. Yeah. Do you think that the Davis Cup and the ATP Cup can coexist within 6 weeks of each other?
1: I coming from someone who's represented my country, um I guess the Davis Cup's probably a, a different from the Fed Cup. I've played it in both formats. I've played it um in the one um where it's all in one week mm. when I had my success against Steffi, so that was that was uh that one. It's a big undertaking financially for for countries to to put on a Fed Cup and a Davis Cup, and some countries just can't afford it. They might have great players, but their organisation is just not a lucrative one financially. So now for the women too, it's gone going back to Budapest, I think for the next three years. So they've paid an awful lot of money to have it and to have it in that week. Um, so if, I think for the next three years that it's going to be in April because they have to fit it into the calendar of where it flows the best. Yeah. So if it was going to be here, it'd have to be after the Australian Open or before the tournament starts. Mm. So, you know, they've got to fit in it. I, I don't know. It's just, just we've had such a rich history in the Davis Cup with the men doing so well and it's a success here. Um, you know, I think the purists don't like it, probably don't really want it to succeed. I don't know if it's going to. Um Time will tell.
2: You touched on that win over Steffi. Mm. When you close your eyes, is that one of the <laughs> moments that's most vivid to you from your career?
1: I think so because it was um, – after after Wimbledon, I had to fly back to Japan and do an exhibition and it was a time where actually my mum and dad were travelling with me and I had, they actually went to – I don't know where the British Open was that in that year, um, but they were – they went to the golf after my dad loves golf, so I went to Japan and then I flew back and then went to the golf and I was with Liz and Pete Smiley, who
0: mm-hmm.
1: Elvis is playing now yes. in up in Sydney, and um, we found out the draw and we had to play Germany and not that I'm like to be very negative, but I said to Mum, "Do you you might as well just go home. <laughs> you might as well just go home." I said. So anyway, we we fast forward, we we get to Frankfurt. Mum and dad stayed in London would go and then I played my match and I won and I played a great match. Just I just played really, really well. I had one of those days where everything was going right. Got back to the hotel room, rang Mum and Dad rang me from Heathrow Airport and said, What was the score, Doll? Where did you go? (laughs) I said, I won. Dad goes, Oh, don't be stupid, Nicole. Don't play a stupid joke. I said, No, I did, Dad, I won. So they were, they weren't too happy with me. That, uh, but oh, I mean, Dad was very fortunate when I got to the semis of the French that he was over there with me. So. Um They've seen a lot of great moments and and things like that, but yeah, we got to the semis and uh, the final of that that Fed Cup, so yeah, it was a great week.
2: Well, as it turns out, you could have played Steffi in a French Open final. You I were, did. You yeah. were very, I had a very point, close to yeah.
1: match point. So against Natasha Zareva. so yeah, one match point, and then she ended up losing Love and Love to Steffi in that final. So mm. I played Steffi lots of times throughout my career. So kind of, you've
2: got yeah. to have thought about it, Nick. If she oh, yeah. lost love and love...
1: I would have got a game.
2: <laughs> of
1: course I would have got one game. Yeah,
2: avoid the double bagel. No, I
1: would have got one game. So, yeah, I just love I love the clay courts. I grew up pretty much playing at Morris Tennis Club on what we call car. so I knew how to slide um, and do all those things. So when I did go to Europe, it certainly wasn't a foreign um, surface for me to play on.
2: How much grass tennis did you play as a kid?
1: Not a lot. I played Easter tournament, Shepparton. Yeah. <laughs> um... So that was probably my only real grass court tennis that I played other than when I got a wild card to play in the Australian Open the last year it was at at um at Kewyong. So and I won a round and that's what really got me kickstarted to to getting my ranking up and being able to go on the tour and play a lot.
2: Were you born with a tennis racket in your hand?
1: I certainly was. My mum played a lot, not not professionally, but played probably um, midweek late mum would play four or five times a week. Um, dad played baseball for Australia. Um, very good cricketer, as, as in those days, most baseballers um, play cricket. Mm. Um, and dad was really good at golf. So I just had the hand-eye coordination, just used to go with mum and I would just harp and harp and harp to play tennis with her. And so then they thought, oh, well, maybe we should get her lessons. And so they went to the club uh, coach and... Dad thought that I probably needed a private lesson as well as group lessons. And he said, oh, no, I don't do um, private lessons for such young kids. And Dad said, look, just, just see what she's like. I think she's got the hand-eye coordination. I think she can do it. So I went along and he said, yep, we're okay to do mm. private lessons. So I did a private and group lessons in those days. And, and Mum's side of the family all played tennis, so we just – I just played tennis lots and lots my, my whole time. Had We lived in a court, put the chalk around on the courts and played tennis the whole time. I just loved it. It was great.
2: So you lived it and you breathed it. Yeah. Was it just filling in time when you were at school and when you were doing all the other things? It was just filling in time until the next time you hit a tennis ball? Yeah,
1: pretty much. I mean, I mean fast forward, I actually went to primary school in Frankston and then my dad was a CEO of a trustees company in the city and the travel was just getting too much. So I was nearing my primary school years and – um, one of the state programs I was in, there was a, a coach called Ken Richardson who was at Beaumaris Tennis Club and his wife was the registrar at Mentone Girls Grammar. And so we moved up to Sandringham and I went to school at Mentone Girls Grammar, which was absolutely amazing with me at school. And Richo was the school, at the school coach at the courts. And so I would just make it work. He would, I would hit at school. And then I would hit at Beaumaris Tennis Club, but then I still went to school. So, and I still got my best friend from school and she travelled with me uh, for a little bit. So, my whole progression, it just worked. Um, I had people that make made things work for me. The school worked with me, and I was a great asset to the school because they were getting a lot of publicity. Um, so, it was just a win win situation.
2: One of the things, Nick, I love finding out from my guests on this program is the moment where the light bulb goes off, where you realise that you've got a gift and that you are actually able to match it at a very high level. When was that moment, that first moment for you?
1: Um, I think, I mean, I was doing really well from a junior perspective. I was being sent away. So I was one of the top juniors in my age group and would have to go, like I went away when I was 12 to America for six weeks in an Australian team and stayed with families and things like that. So I just was just so focused on, on... trying to be um, the best that I could be. Um, I think my real was when I started winning $25,000 tournaments, which were in Wollongong and Newcastle in my day when I was playing. Um, and I started winning those and I was it was like a good gradual process. And then I guess the validation was um, getting the wild card into the Australian Open. I won a round and then that was it. Then it was off. And so I actually didn't finish year twelve. Um, I said to Dad, I'm going to give it a go on the circuit for a year and if I don't like it or I don't feel like I'm contributing or being successful, then I will go back to school. I didn't end up going back to school, but um, my that's how I started having my success.
2: Just when you won that match at the Australian Open on yeah. the back of the wildcard, yeah. did you feel that pressure that we were talking about before that Ash is going to face? Because it seems as though every time we get an Australian player at the Australian Open, yep. one win and everybody piles on the fact that they're going to win the tournament. Exactly. And it's just not going to happen. No,
1: it's not. I mean, I had – there was, you know, obviously Liz Smiley was was before me, um, you know, Anne Minter. I, I probably think um, – I don't even know if Wendy Turnbull was probably still playing then. Di mm. Um, You know, we still had a lot of good uh, female players that were coming through. So um, no, I just – Thrived on it. I just enjoyed it, um, and I think that's what you have to do. You have to enjoy what you're doing. And I just had really great people around me as well. So the whole process was very enjoyable. It wasn't. It wasn't hard work. It wasn't negative. Um, I just embraced it.
2: You nearly got it wrong there. I know. <laughs>
1: I haven't said it for a while. I have had to say it for
2: a while. I'll let you compose yourself. We'll take a break, and there's plenty more still to talk about with Nicole Bradkey, not Nicole Provis or Nicole Provis, if you like. That's all still ahead of us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
2: What a joy it is to have Nicole here as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. The singles titles. There were three of them and the first one was on home soil. What was that like in Brisbane? Hot. Very, very
1: hot because I was really sick the week before. Um, Hadn't picked up a racket. It was just... Oh, and I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Um, went up there. I actually took my best friend who was a nurse, but <laughs> that um, was very handy. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to give it a go and see how I go. And um, I just really didn't have the energy to either get angry or upset when I was playing. And I just played really, really well. Um, it was so, so hot up there because they just redone the courts at Milton because obviously they were grass and had changed to rebound ace. Mm. I think it was 60 odd degrees on court.
2: They used to fry eggs on my those shoes courts. melted. Yeah. I was
1: wearing Dunlop shoes at the time and I don't know why this the one this one day that I just bought, I mean you should bring a second pair of shoes anyway, but um I just put a second pair of shoes in in the um in my bag and they had to go get them and there is nothing worse when your feet are really really hot and putting on a brand new pair of tennis shoes. It was just like, oh, my feet. Um, ended up having a really great week and, um, and winning and it was, um, yeah, terrific. And then went to Sydney and, and played pretty well in Sydney as well. Well,
2: you must be pretty good in hot climates because yeah, your next title it. came in KL.
1: I know. It was really hot there too. Um, and yeah, one, their mum was actually with me on that trip, which was really, really nice. And, uh, they had a, um, uh, it was like a, like Brisbane, how they've got like tart like a
2: Cantilever uh, yeah, over
1: – so it was probably more humidity. I just loved playing in the heat. It just – it didn't bother me. I didn't get um, upset. I didn't get anxious or anything else like that. I just – the hotter it was, the
2: better it was for me. Was it hot in Auckland when you won the third one?
1: <laughs> no. No, I didn't think it would be. <laughs> no, I think Mark was with me that one. That was the when he actually had the year – where he didn't have really have a year off, but he took a, a period of time off and, and travelled with me. And, um, yeah, that was um, – where um, I won that title and it was great. Yeah, he travelled with me that year, so it was a good year.
2: We've touched on your singles achievement at the French Open in '88. Yeah, um, Steffi was at the peak of her power. She'd won the Australian Open, uh, the first one at Melbourne Park, yep. not long before, before that. It, but yep. what about the doubles? You are in the record books. You are a Grand Slam champion. Yes. How does that title? Yeah, sit with that's you?
1: it's pretty exciting. I we um with um. With Mark, we we just I guess complimented one another. The way that he played, he played different, and that's why he did so well with uh, with Todd. You know, he he sliced, he lobbed, he volleyed really well. He didn't when you know the girls obviously served not nowhere near as hard. He could handle it. He didn't get upset and things like that. Where some guys are thinking, oh my god, I should be returning these balls. They're not as hard as you know facing the men's serves. But he just c- could play mixed. Really well, and 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 I obviously complimented him. So um, we actually beat Suk and Sakova um, in the uh, the US Open mix. So and then um, yeah, beat Todd and Arantxa at the one in Melbourne, which was pretty exciting.
2: Yeah. So what does that actually do for you, Nick? Where where does that get you? Does it get you into certain clubs? Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Last. Um, well, I'm in the last eight clubs, so at yeah. every Grand Slam. But I'm in there. Uh, some f- through singles as well um, and and doubles. So every Grand Slam that you go to, uh, you can get tickets to go and there's a beautiful um, uh, venue that, that it is and you go in there and you catch up with other people that have uh, done the same as what I have. So uh, it, it's nice. It's nice to be able to go back to a Grand Slam if you happen to want to travel and get tickets to go see it and um, – yeah, go and have a nice glass of wine or Pimm's or and watch the tennis.
2: So is that what you've been doing when you come up and sit in the commentary box with me? You've been on the on the ink all day. No. <laughs> you sure?
1: No, I, 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 maybe at the end of the day, but no. <laughs> when you've sat in and you've watched a lot of matches, it's actually um, – I think it's actually harder watching matches than it is actually playing. So, um, Do you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially people that you want to win and, and things like that. Um, I think you' become a great um armchair expert. Oh, why didn't they do this? Oh, in my day, I didn't do that, so yeah, I think it's I get a bit antsy when I'm sitting down for too long.
2: Well, especially in that cramped little commentary box that we used to share up yeah. above Rod Laver Arena, you got to know each other pretty well you in did. that did, You circumstance. certainly did.
1: Yeah, you did. So, but yeah, I mean, that's just one of the things that, the opportunities that come your way after you finish playing tennis.
2: You're a great um, analyser of the game, a really good commentator, and I love working with you. Are you more stats-based or Not. are you more what your eye tells you?
1: Absolutely. I think um, I'm more visual from from what I see or... Um, what people should be doing or why, why they aren't doing things. Um, stats, there are sometimes stats don't tell you a story uh, and sometimes you have to be able to read someone's body language and things like that. So, I mean, obviously you want to get a high percentage of first serves in and all those sorts of things, but um, you've almost got to have reaction time and play the ball. Stats do play a little bit. I mean, if you've got a coach... Then you can look at the stats and go, well, okay, they serve, you know, 60% of the time to the forehand. She likes her backhand better the, than her forehand. So, I mean, you've got things in your mind that you go to. But if I'm calling a match or reading a match, I'm just purely going off what I see. Mm. And that's how I like to
2: to call it. I'll give you one little stat. It just popped into my head. Um, you know these things happen with me every now and then. <laughs> Natasha Zvereva, yeah. who was Natalia Zvereva. Yeah. Um, she holds one record that will probably never be broken in tennis. Do you know what that might be? Uh,
1: no. What would she it be? is the
2: only person to do backstroke on center court at oh, the Australian oh, okay. Open. okay. <laughs> Remember when the court flooded? Yeah, when flooded? it flooded. Yeah, and she Gigi came out. Fernandez
1: went out. Renee Stubbs was out, and it was that murky, murky colour. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Natasha just. Yeah. Laid down and started doing the backstroke.
1: <laughs> as you do. <laughs>
2: well, I think they had some swimming championships at Rod Labor Arena at one stage. I think it might have been the World Championships Maybe. they actually yeah, put, they a put a pool in Yeah, there.
1: there. Yeah, it's had but, a lot of a grass court flown in. It's had a lot of concerts, obviously. So I it's a great someone, venue.
2: Someone you know might have played there a yeah, few times someone's as well. We've
1: seen a few uh, basketball games there as well. So it's, yeah, it was going gambusters in the NBL in when Mark was playing. He was very fortunate to be playing at a great time.
2: Fed Cup was something dear to your heart yep. as well. You represented Australia so many times. Yeah. It was uh, it was a labour of love for yeah. you.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, you know, it's such an individual sport that um, you know you're away so often, and some you know often you don't play a lot of other tournaments where Australians are, or they can't get into tournaments because your ranking's higher. It was. It's just a, a really good week of um, bringing everyone together, um, and obviously played in some, and then coached some. Um, it's just a lot of Fun week, and it's not a week of I. It's a uh, it's a we week that um, everyone contributes, and it's a lot of fun to to be with like minded people.
2: You mentioned that you were a coach. When it ended, it wasn't pretty in some no, ways. No, no. What What are your thoughts looking back on um, that now?
1: Look, it was not. I. It's not the fact that I was not doing it. It was just the way the way that I was informed. Mm. Um, I think when I had done it for seven or eight years, there just um, should have been a better way to have told me. And, and Alicia, Alicia knows that, and you. she knows that she.
2: Are you two she, okay now? Yeah,
1: yeah. I I I said to her that I was very disappointed in the way that she she could have handled it a lot better, um, and yeah, I was very forthright. And so um, basically,
2: she rang you and told. Yeah, you. she
1: just told me like a few days before, and she was coming into town a couple of days later. And I just thought that – and, you know, we were really good friends. I'd helped her. I just felt that that she owed it to talk to me, not over the phone, that she needed to tell me face-to-face that I was – it was a hard decision for her to make and it was probably one that she didn't really necessarily had to do. But I think in life there are some decisions that you have to make and you have to do the right way and I just felt that that was one of them. So um, we're fine now. I made it known and she was very apologetic and she knew that she didn't handle it the best way possible, so we're all fine now.
2: Speaking of the next generation, I want to talk about that in our final segment when we come back because I mentioned that Nick has a bit of a relationship with the AFL and it's through (laughs) her son, Austin. We'll talk about that when we come back with our final segment on the other side of the break on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
2: Our final segment, what has been a great chat with Nicole Bradkey on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. All right, tell us about this AFL connection.
1: Okay, so my eldest, Austin, 19, um, played basketball his whole entire career, went to the States. Um, when he was about sixteen, seventeen, had a look at some colleges that were interested in him. Came back and says, "Nope, don't want to live here." Said, "Fine, no problem." What do you want to do? <laughs> he he played football. Um, two of his best mates are Max and Ben King. So one on the Gold Coast, one at St Kilda. Um, clubs got wind that he was not um, uh, going to go back to basketball. He is six foot nine, moves pretty well. Was a very good footballer. Hence, we had a lot of offers for him to go to clubs because he's gone as a rookie B and they can, ha- and each club can have three. He chose Melbourne. Um, he does barrack for Melbourne. I was a devil's advocate and was, um, you know, trying to say, look, this and this and this. And it was a very difficult decision, but ultimately it was his decision. And so he's gone with Melbourne and he's loving every single minute
2: of it. Is mum loving every minute of I
1: it? I am loving it. Um, it is a lot more nerve-wracking than uh, obviously basketball from a getting hurt point of view. Uh, he played in the um, VFL last season, so which was great. Um, just getting back into the swing again, but Melbourne have been absolutely wonderful. Um, he's got 46 new best friends. Max Gorn is amazing with him. Um, all the midfielders are great. They take him out, and he absolutely loves it.
2: I think that's him on the phone now. I think your handbag's ringing. Oh golly, oh! Just take that anyway, over here. I'll yeah. put
1: it down on the. You phone. know what happens? You've yeah. been in
2: radio for long enough. When the phone rings when you're <laughs> in the studio, that, that's a slab.
1: <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah. Oh no.
2: Yeah. Uh, so we might uh, we might go off and have some of that uh, pims that you oh, were talking there you about. Go.
1: Well, I do have another son too, um, who's Jensen, and he's gorgeous, and he's um, fifteen and six foot seven, but he's our basketballer, so. Um, They're both um, great kids and a lot of enjoyment.
2: We're just about at the end of our time. I wish it could be longer, but my last question is for the boys, and in particular Austin, who is about to embark on sport at the top level. Yes. With everything that you have learned in your career, if he asked mum for one (laughs) gem of advice, what would it be?
1: Hard work. Hard work will get you. um, You might not have the skill level um, as some people, But if you're prepared to go in there and do the hard yards and do the one percenters and the hard work, eventually things will go your way. Um, And that's what I always say to him, hard work, nothing beats hard work.
2: Well, it served you pretty well. It It was (laughs) a great career and it's been great to relive it with you. I'll look forward to seeing you around the grounds of Melbourne Park at some stage in about a month's time. Nick, thanks for coming in. It's been a joy to share an hour with you. Thank you, Pete. Nicole Bradkey joining us on This Is Your Sporting live for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll be back with another great of Australian sport next week at the same time. I hope you can join us then. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au
0: now.